Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm glad you're listening in today. If this is your first time listening, I would love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. It's the perfect time to be listening to our podcast as we're beginning a new fall series that we're calling Life, A Hero's Story. This is a pretty long series, but we found that every hero story is broken up into a couple different pieces. So each month we'll be looking at a different act in this story. Now I think everyone loves a good hero story, and partly because the hero story has echoes of our own story. The problem is we always see ourselves as the hero, never the one needing rescue. Let's listen in to our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison, as we begin the first act in our hero's life, The Rescue. Good morning. I want to remind you guys that it's because of the faithfulness of our people over the past months that we were able to have this Sunday and end of summer. Whatever came last week, unless otherwise designated, was all given to our IP medical debt. But it's because of the faithfulness continuing of this church family that we were able to do that, which I think is so cool. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you help us to realize what a, what a gift it is to be in your presence. I pray that you'll give us a sense of that presence. We're not just here talking about you. You're here. Because of that, we pray, Lord, now that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen. I want to remind you guys that uh, there's a prayer room right in the back over there. One of our elders is back in that prayer room right now praying for you guys. And if at any time during the service you just kind of feel the need to pray with somebody, uh, just step on back to that room and let them pray with you. It's cool. If you feel like God is nudging you for something, go back and have that conversation. Guys, I love hero stories. I love hero movies. Do you? the great epic movies with a hero in them. These hero stories touch something in us. They stir something in us. So what I'm going to do this morning to start off is I'm going to throw some pictures on screen. What I'd like you to do is call out the name of the movie or the name of the hero. Okay? Let's just get it going by looking at some of these hero stories. Here's the first one. You know this guy? Louder. Braveheart. Mel Gibson. William Wallace. Right? Freedom. It's one of my favorites. By the way, have you ever noticed in hero stories how often it is that the hero at the end dies? Happens a lot, doesn't it? More of you guys may not know this one. Anyone know what this one is? Pay it forward. Pay it forward. It's a great story. It's kind of a tearjerker. The paying it forward cost this kid his life, inspired so many others. How about this one? I know a lot of you guys know this one. Saving Private Ryan, right, gut-wrenching movie. By the way, it is a terrible movie to watch when the army is about to send your son overseas, right? It's just a terrible one. This one here, I don't know how many guys want to know the name of it, but it's a great film. Anyone know the name? Life is Beautiful. Life is Beautiful. You may have missed this one, but it's, it's, it's worth seeing. It's a Jewish dad 
and his whole family's been thrown into a concentration camp, and he's trying to protect his kid from the horrors of that concentration camp. At the end of the story, the dad dies. Kid lives, and he has been rescued. Now, here's one of the most tear-jinking, gut-wrenching of all of them. Anyone know what it is? That's Superman. You should all know that. Superman, Don of the Justice League. He gives us life battling doomsday. I mean, how sad is that, right? Here's one of my favorite, this one here. Anyone know what that one is? It's the mission. It's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. It's a movie about some missionaries who gave their lives protecting their people from the slave trade. Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, Aidan Quinn. It's a great film. How about this one? You'll know this one. Grand Torino, Clint Eastwood, grumpy old Korean war vet who gives his life protecting some Laotian children. It's about courage. It's a movie about dignity. How about this one? Anyone know what this next one is? 300, all the guys say 300. You hear that? Gerard Butler's Leonides leading 300 Spartans in a very famous historical battle at Thermopylae to hold off the Persian army. They all die. All of them die as heroes. This last one is another one of my very favorites. You know what it is? Wonder Woman. Woman. It's a great flick, isn't it? Great movie. She lives at the end of the story, but... Steve Trevor, the guy to her left there on the screen, he dies, the man she loves, and he dies heroically. Guys, we love these movies. We love these hero stories. They stir us. Why? Have you ever wondered what makes a hero into a hero? William Wallace, he found the oppression of his people by the English oppressive. It stirred something in him, and he had to do something about it if he could, even if it cost him his life which it did. Is there anything you would die for? Missionaries love their God so fiercely and they love these people that they were working with so selflessly that they found the oppression of these people intolerable. And it stirred something in them. And they had to do something about it. They couldn't just let it go. Is there anyone, any person that you would die for? makes a hero a hero. I didn't show the picture, but Steve Rogers, right? Captain America. He knows he can't land the plane without detonating the bombs that are in it. Devastation would be intolerable. Millions would die. It stirred something in him, so he had to crash the plane, even if it meant losing the woman that he loved, Peggy. Have you ever wondered how big a sacrifice you would make to be a hero, how big a sacrifice would you be willing to make? What makes a hero a hero besides their willingness to, to sacrifice, to die for something? Well, sometimes heroes see th- things that others are blind to, or they see things that others simply can't see. Here's a great scene from the Avengers Infinity War. Watch this scene. Thank you. 
How many of you guys have seen that scene? Yeah, all of you guys who are good movie buffs. I like that. Dr. Strange can see into the future. He can see the outcome of whatever they choose to do next. He examines 14,605 possible outcomes. And because he can see what others can't see, he does something that no one understands. What he does seems horrible. But he realizes it's the only way they can win in the end. What makes a hero a hero? Sometimes they see what others can't see. They find intolerable what others have learned to tolerate. They do what others can't do or won't do. I'm going to tell you the first part of a story of some real-life heroes. Just the first part of the story, because next week I'm going to get into the meat of the story. What I'm going to tell you this morning is just the setup. Twelve years ago, the British Medical Journal did a poll. They tried to identify the single most important medical milestone since 1840, which is when the journal started to be published. Essentially, what's the biggest medical milestone? What has changed health for people the most in the past 200 years? And some of these are huge. I'm going to give you the top 10. As I'm reading down through the top 10, see if you can pick out what that might have made their top three. See if you can pick out what... might have made their top one. Here's their top 10. Anesthesia. That's a pretty good medical milestone, isn't it? How many of you guys are grateful for anesthesia? I mean, they used to do surgery without it. Antibiotics. Huge. How many people in this room would be dead without antibiotics? Yeah, quite a few of us, I think. I would be. Computers. We don't often connect computers with medicine, but how far would it set doctors and hospitals back if you took all of their computers away? It'd be amazing. Contraceptives. Contraceptives have revolutionized life in this world for women. DNA. That one I think is only going to grow bigger. They're just beginning to understand how the discovery of the structure of DNA is going to revolutionize medicine. They call the next one evidence-based medicine. In other words, scientifically, by real examination, which procedures, which medicines really work? Not the ones they've always used, not the ones they like to use. Which ones really work? How about germ theory? Did you know that doctors didn't used to wash their hands? Can you imagine going from patient to patient to patient, never washing your hands? That's what they used to do. Imaging. I think that one is so cool. They can actually look inside you without cutting you open. Aren't you grateful for that? I am. Sanitation. Clean water, safe sewage disposal. Clean water and toilets made the list. Vaccines. Smallpox, diphtheria, whooping cough, measles, rubella, polio, mumps. The kind of things that used to devastate us that are now held in check when people get vaccinated. Now, you're looking at that list. Can you pick out maybe the top three? Can you pick out the one that you think is the top one, made the biggest medical milestone of the last 200 years? Well, third place goes to anesthesia, right? That's a big one. It's a milestone that I think about all of us are grateful for. It's a milestone I'm grateful for every time I go to the dentist, right? Second place goes to antibiotics. This one's huge. 
Do you know that Vern, our connections minister, the reason we had to cancel the thing tonight is he spent the last week in the hospital. He has ruptured appendix, right? And that's a big deal. And if it weren't for antibiotics, there's a good chance Vern would be dead today. Me too, if it weren't for antibiotics. I'd have died years ago. Well, what could be more important than those two? What would actually drop them to second and third on the list? DNA? Someday it might. Germ theory? That's huge. Vaccinations? Can you imagine the pain that it has saved people? Well, here it is. Believe it or not, the winner is sanitation. Get that? Is that amazing? Clean water and sewage disposal. Clean water and toilets. Their conclusion is nothing has been more impactful on improving our health than clean water and toilets. Does that blow your mind? (laughs) But here's the deal. Sanitary revolution is what they call it. The sanitary revolution started back in the 1800s. But the British Medical Journal, the journal that did this study, says that about one billion people in our world still lack clean water and safe sewage disposal. And because they lack toilets, they just do their business outside. Oftentimes they find some kind of a common area, which I suppose is better than just squatting wherever you are. And they have determined that the negative impact on health is devastating. Now, the World Health Organization challenges those numbers. They think the problem's bigger, it's worse. Here's an article they published just two years ago. 2.1 billion people, twice as many, lack safe drinking water at home, and more than twice as many as that lack safe sanitation. And here's the first line of the article. This is what it reads. Some 3 in 10 people, or 2.1 billion, lack access to safe, readily available water at home. And 6 in 10, more than half the people in our world, they say, 4.5 billion lack safely managed sanitation. According to a report by the World Health Organization, partnered with UNICEF. And as a result of that, they calculate that about 361,000 children die every year from diarrhea alone. And then you add stuff like cholera and dysentery, hepatitis A, typhoid, hookworm, roundworm, schistosomiasis, polio. Stuff's awful. Sometimes people living in those conditions are just clueless. They don't have any idea. They're ignorant. They don't know the danger. They don't understand how important clean water is. They don't understand how important toilets are. Sometimes people living in those conditions kind of don't like the way things are, but it's how they've always been. We've always drunk that water. We've always pooped over there. It's normal. It's acceptable. It's tolerable. And sometimes, occasionally, there are people who say, we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. We don't know how to fix it. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the plan. We don't have the resources to make it any better. And what about those of us who look on from a distance, watching these unsophisticated, backwards, 
sometimes ignorant, sometimes just careless, barbarians. What of those of us who see the water that they're drinking, and we know what's in it, it's not good. We see where they're defecating, and we understand the danger that it creates to them and their kids. There are some who see what these poor wretches can't see, and maybe find intolerable what these poor wretches have learned to tolerate. And some of us respond with disgust. After all, what they drink is disgusting. The sanitary, unsanitary conditions they live in is disgusting. So some of us shake our heads or wag our fingers or point one finger and blow them off. Maybe natural selection will take care of it. Others of us, when we look at it, it breaks our heart. We can't stand the idea that we might be living in conditions like that. My family living, my friends living like that hurts us to see their women and their kids living like that. We hear of their diseases, and it hurts us. Pity can be powerful. But what would a hero do? What would a hero do? Because that's what this series is about. Life. A hero's story. Hmm. Do you know that what I've been talking about this morning, everything I've been talking about, has actually been our story? Here's what catches us by surprise. We love hero stories, but we love putting ourselves in the story as a hero. We want to identify with the hero. We want to see what the hero sees, feels what the, feel what the hero feels, and have the courage to do what he does. But often, in fact, maybe more often than not, we are not the heroes. We're the ones needing rescue. Sometimes you need a hero. Sometimes we all do. Listen, those billions who are drinking dirty water, those billions who are living in their sewage, from God's perspective, that's you. And that's me. God looks at us and he says, these kids are a mess. Sometimes we're clueless. Sometimes we're oblivious. We don't understand the danger. We don't understand the fix we're in. <laughs> Sorry about this, Alethea. When my daughter was somewhere between one and two, Julie and I learned how barbaric a one or two-year-old could be. We opened the door to her room and she was sitting in the middle of the room Somehow she had removed her diaper, which had been quite full. And she had used the contents of her diaper to redecorate her room. And to redecorate her body. And even apparently as a little snack, judging from the look of her face. Now she was sitting there thinking life was great. Thinking life was good. Oblivious to the mess. Oblivious to the danger. Julie and I disagreed. And we're kind of like that. Sometimes we don't see the danger. We don't understand the fix we're in. We don't see where the path that we're on is taking us. Other times, we don't like the way things are. But it's the way things have always been. We get used to it. We get used to our messes. We get used to our sin. Messiness becomes tolerable, acceptable, normal. I know we look around us and 
There's so much we're not proud of. You look around us yourself in this culture and there's so much meanness and selfishness and crudity and callousness. And maybe occasionally you've even looked in a mirror without your mask on and you've seen meanness and selfishness and crudity and callousness. Have you ever, ever looked in the mirror without your mask and felt shame or disgust? Have you ever really looked in a mirror without a mask? Sometimes, other times, just occasionally, we have moments of exceptional clarity. Ah, I get it. I see it. I understand it. I'm a mess, and I can't fix me. Every one of you is a mess, and you can't fix you. Because we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the goodness, and we don't have the strength to fix ourselves. Do you believe that? Now, what do you think God sees when he looks at you, when he looks at us? You see, we really believe there is a God. We do. And we believe God sees everything. We think God understands everything. He's the creator. There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing he doesn't know. He knows what's in the water that we're drinking. He knows what the filth that we're living in is going to do to us. He can see the end of the path. Does God care? Do you think an almighty, all-powerful, all-holy God looks at you with disgust? Unsophisticated, backward, ignorant, disobedient little barbarian. Do you think when he looks at you, his, when he sees our messes, that our messes break his heart? Do you think you can break God's heart? Do you think a, a God that big, that he creates the whole universe with words, cares about creatures as little as we are? Does he really care? Really? And is God Almighty willing to do more than just feel pity? Now, guys, on some things, I'm just a slow learner. I really am, because I'm a stubborn man. It took me nearly 40 years to accept the notion that I am a mess and I can't fix me. It took me about 40 years to recognize that I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the goodness, and I don't have the strength to make myself into the man that I want to be, much less the man that God made me to be. It took me nearly 40 years to really understand and accept the notion that I need rescue. I need a hero. Now, I was told that. I've been told that my whole life. I was told that when I was little. I was told when I was little that I was a sinner, a terrible sinner. I didn't really understand what that meant because I was little. The preacher kept telling me that. My parents seemed to believe it, so I accepted it. So I knew as a seven, eight, or nine-year-old that I was on a fast track towards hell. Couldn't quite understand why, but that's what they kept saying. As years passed, maybe I understood a little bit more clearly, I thought. You see, the little sins that I kept sinning, because I was just little, so I didn't really commit big, little, big sins. I was still committing all these little sins. I began to understand that maybe the little sins that I was sinning, the little messes I was causing, maybe weren't so little to my God. Maybe they were actually heinous to an infinitely holy and an all-seeing God. 
might seem like a little lie to me, it might seem like a little lie to you, but no lie is little to God. I begin to understand that I sin a lot. And it's offensive to our God. But I'm kind of stubborn, prideful. I kept sinning, but I kept telling myself, I can fix this. I can fix it. I'm, I need God's forgiveness sometimes. I, I really do need his forgiveness, so I'd ask him forgiveness, but I didn't really need his help. I didn't need his rescue. I'm smart enough, and I'm strong enough, and I'm stubborn enough, and I'm driven enough that I'm going to beat this. I'm going to make myself into the man I want to be. I'm going to make myself into the man that God wants me to be. I'm just going to try harder, and I'm going to try smarter. So I'd mess up, and I'd feel shame, and then I'd determine next time that's not going to happen. Next time I'm going to try harder. And I'd mess up again, and I'd feel the shame again, and I would steal my determination again and say, next time I'm going to do better. And I'd mess up again and again and again, sometimes exactly the same little sins over and over again. And every time I'd feel that shame and buck up my determination that next time I'm going to do better. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been caught in a loop like that? And all of a sudden, Paul's words came alive. I began to understand what he meant. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do. I do it anyway. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. Have you? It took me nearly 40 years to get it. it. took me nearly 40 years to understand, to accept, I can't fix me. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the goodness. I don't have the strength. I don't just sin with a little s. I am a sinner with a capital S. So now what? What do I do now? I am not going to be the hero of my story. Paul said that too. Here's what Paul said. He says, what a miserable person I am. Who's going to free me? Who from outside is going to free me from this life that is dominated by sin and by death? He says, I need rescue. I need a hero. And I know that a lot of people are different. You don't all have to have followed the path that I followed. I, I know that there's some people who don't understand that they're sinners at all. You just don't have any sense of your sinfulness. You don't need a hero because you don't need saving. You don't need rescue. Sometimes people come to that conclusion because their understanding of sin is so shallow. Their bar is set so low. Oftentimes, those who feel that way, are incredibly unself-aware, almost delusional. They're oblivious to their own sin and oblivious to the messes that they create. Fortunately, I haven't too often had to deal with such self-righteous twits. More often, people find their sin acceptable, tolerable. I know I sin, but I'm better than most. I know I mess up some, but I do more good than bad. Surely I've done enough to get in if there is a heaven, if there is a God, I hope, I think. And I think sometimes people like that are like teenagers with a dirty room. <laughs> you ever seen a teenager's dirty room? You ever send a teenager to go clean up their dirty room? 
and you go in afterwards and you find all of the junk under the bed or you find all the junk in the closet. And you walk in and they're like, I cleaned it. My room's clean enough. (laughs) We're like that. We make light of our sins. They're tolerable sins, excusable sins. He made me do it. They're acceptable sins, necessary sins, and we can play that game as long as we cast no more than a sideways glance at our God. We can convince ourselves that we're okay as long as we have no real sense of God's holiness and his power and his heart. Sometimes, sometimes people are like me, poor souls. We know we sin with a little s. We don't really see ourselves as sinners with a capital S. We despise our sin. We're ashamed of our sin. It annoys us. But we operate under this delusion that eventually we can fix it. We can save ourselves. And God wants us, he wants all of us to have this moment of exceptional clarity, this moment of insight. I am a sinner. And I can't save me. You are a sinner. And you can't save you. And God's going to try to do something to get you to drop your defenses, to drop your mask, to be perfectly honest. Open your eyes. See yourself as God sees you. See yourself as you really are. None of us is good enough. None of us is strong enough. None of us is smart enough to save, all of, to save ourselves. Every one of us needs rescue. We need a hero. We love these hero stories. We love them because they stir something in us. We love them because we feel something in them. There's something powerful. There's something archetypal about them. Because every one of the best ones is an echo of our story. They're metaphors for our story. The problem is we keep putting ourselves in the story in the wrong place. We want to be the hero, and I love that. I I love that about us. We want to be the one who sees what no one else sees. We want to be the one who finds intolerable what everybody else tolerates. We want to be the ones who are willing to make whatever sacrifices necessary to fix it, to get it done, to make it right. But in our story, in our story with God, we are the ones needing rescue. I'm not Spider-Man. I'm that cute little chubby kid that he keeps rescuing. I'm not Captain John Miller. I'm Private James Ryan. I'm the one he gave his life to save. I'm not Clint Eastwood. I'm the poor little Laotian kid that he gave his life to save. It's my story. That's why they have such power for us. If we can admit the part that we play. You see, God sees with perfect clarity what others can't see. He sees sin for what it really is. And he sees where the path will take us. But as unbelievable as it is to us humans, we humans don't disgust him. Go figure. It is not disgust in his eyes when he looks at you. It's not even just pity. It's determination. It's love. Go figure. 
the Apostle Paul tries to put it into words. Here's what he says. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of our world obeying the devil, who's the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He is the spirit who's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. You're not the exception, neither am I. By your very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. God loved us so much, go figure, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, because it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. You needed a rescue. God pulled it off. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe it for you? I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it in a different translation, the message. It makes it come alive a little bit. Read it as a, your story. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, interesting, you let the world tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then you exhaled disobedience. Been there, done that. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper with disgust and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy, with an incredible love, he embraced us, he took our sin-dead lives, and he made us alive in Christ. That's why we're here. One more thing. Listen, guys. Sometimes all we think we need from God is a little bit of forgiveness. Little compassion, little grace, little forgiveness. Guys, we don't need just a little forgiveness, a little compassion, a little grace. We need a rescue. I cannot make myself into the man that I want me to be. I certainly can't make myself into the man that God made me to be. God can. He's God. And God is not content merely to forgive your sins he came to rescue you. He wants to make us aware of the mess that we're in. He wants to prove how much he loves us anyway. He wants to show us that he's preparing something way better for us. And he wants to convince us that we can be fixed. We can be rescued. Here's how the, how the Apostle Paul put it. I'm going to close with these words set of scriptures, long before, long before God laid down the earth's foundations, before we were ever made, God had us in mind. He'd already settled on us as the focus of his love. Go figure. He knew what we were going to do. He already intended that we're going to be made whole and holy by his love. We were broken. We were unholy. He had already intended to fix that. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family. Go figure. Through Jesus Christ, what pleasure God took in planning all this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Messiah, 
His blood poured out on the altar of the cross, which we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. We are a free people, free of all penalties, free of all punishments, chalked up by all of our misdeeds. And not just barely free, abundantly free. God thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the paths he took such, plans he took such delight in making. It is in Christ, this is huge, it is in Christ that we find out who we are. In Christ we find out who we are, and in Christ we find out what we're living for. Do you know who you are, really? Are you living for something this big? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Guys, that's what we're here for as a church. That's why we're here. We're here because we are Jesus followers. We are people who believe that we need that grace and we've embraced that grace and we want to live out that grace. If you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we can get that started today. I'm going to be sitting right on down here for the rest of this service just for a few more minutes. Like I said, there's an elder in the prayer room. We'd love to talk to you. Or if you want, there's a little decision card. There's a blue decision card in front of you. And just mark down your name and contact information just that you want to talk. And one of us will contact you in the next day or two. And we'll have that conversation that you need to have to get started in your life with God. It's all about being Jesus followers, isn't it? We believe that's what makes life, life. Now, guys, we've just started the story of the rescue. It's going to get way richer next week. I hope you come back, and I hope you bring a friend. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we're so grateful. So grateful for your grace. We're grateful for those moments of clarity when we understand how much we need it. Because otherwise we just flail around. Give us the wisdom. Give us the courage to be people of God. To embrace your grace and live it out. In the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen.